I want us to open up in prayer, uh, and then we're just going to dive right in. We're gonna we're gonna cover um, seven new passages of text tonight. Um, but just for the sake of doing it, we're going to read through quite a bit of what we've covered up until this point, because we are tonight kind of starting into a new major section uh, of the book of Romans, and we'll talk about that uh, after we open up in prayer. So let's open up in prayer, um, just asking that God would move in our hearts through the Holy Spirit, just just reproving and just... Um, sanctifying us further and further through uh, through His Word. Um, let's pray. Lord, I thank You uh, for You are amazing, and You are worthy of all glory and all honor and all praise. Lord, that You would allow us to breathe each breath, though oftentimes we take those breaths for granted until we feel like maybe... It might be our last. I, I pray that we would not be that kind of people, but that we would be a people that with every breath that we breathe, we breathe out glory and honor and praise for you. Um, I thank you uh, for the young people tonight who, who were willing to just step up and serve. Uh, I pray that, that each and every one of us would have such hearts to serve you. Um, Lord, and though sometimes we may think the way that you've called us to serve may be a little thing or a small thing, I pray that we would understand that, that each and every one of us have been called by you, by your Spirit, to serve in very special ways, and that each one of us plays a part in this bigger picture of what you're doing, and that it is an absolute honor that we as um, former enemies of you now being made right through the work of Christ, having been justified by placing our faith in the work of Christ, now that we stand in grace to You, that we would, uh, standing there, have hearts that are constantly being refined with a deeper and more full and more passionate love for You and desire to know You more. And then out of that, that we would have a desire that others would know you. We are living in a world and we are living in a time that it is very clear that your gospel is needed. And I I pray, Lord, and as I've been preparing for this message, you know what I've seen and the things that my church, uh, my fellow church members have seen in the news and the media in our country and in our culture uh, this week, and and you know me myself, the the many emotions that I have felt along the way, and and uh, sometimes I, I imagine my emotions are uh, as sinful as the day that you found me, and the day that you called me, and and I ask that that I myself would also constantly be refined by your Holy Spirit to be led to think right thoughts, to be led to love as Christ has loved me. And, and I pray that in all of that, that, that as I present Your Word tonight, that I would present it truthfully and wholly and clearly so that those who might hear it, Your Holy Spirit would use it to refine them. Lord, that we would leave an impact on this world. As, as, ins- as insignificant as we may sometimes feel, I pray that You would open our eyes to the impact the eternal impact that we can have for you. And I ask you that you would change us and 
press into us and light a fire within our bones so that we would live in such a way as we would chase after heavenly treasure instead of earthly treasures. That we would keep our eyes fixed on Christ instead of so concerned about the world around us. Lord, let us not be concerned with our comforts, but let us be concerned with your glory as we open up tonight. I pray that your Holy Spirit would move, move in our hearts. Lord, encourage us, strengthen us, embolden us, teach us and make us wise so that we could go out into this world and have an impact for you and for your glory. It's in Christ's name and for his glory. Amen. I'm just going to start, and I'm going to read through the book of Romans. We've uh, we've covered all of this thus far, but um, in light of recent events, I want us just to pass back over uh, some texts in chapter 1 and chapter 2 of Romans. And I want us to keep this in mind in our hearts as we continue. And I mentioned when we were in this text this, and, 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 and now it seems to have been made more and more clear by the culture and the decisions that the culture which we live in are making now. Um, So I just want us to review back over this text. And and what I do not want us to do is to think that God was ever caught off guard or that God was ever surprised or that things are not playing out in accordance with what He has set forth. Because the truth is, is that the church has outlasted Kings, the church has outlasted countries, the church has been on the wrong side of history from the beginning. When it was a Roman church, or excuse me, a Roman country and civilization who put a king on a cross to die. I want to be on that side of history. Friends, I want to be on the side of history to where when you put a man in a grave, he comes back to life. Because what I don't want to be said of my life is that when you put me in the grave one day, that that was it. Right? Our hope is in something greater. Right? Our hope is in something greater. So much so that when they were lighting the bodies of Christians on fire... To light the night in Rome, I say to Rome, where is your kingdom now? Where is your kingdom, Rome, when you think you burn Christians and we die because of that? No, this is not the story of the church. In fact, when you press into the church, the church explodes. We find this in the book of Acts. We've covered this. We've looked at this. When the church was persecuted, it burst forth into the world... So let the pressures come. Because you, church, will survive. Because your hope is in something greater than this world. In the comforts of this world. So let us look. Romans chapter 1, verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith 
for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Chapter 1, verse 21, and I'm going to read for a while here. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity. To the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, they exchanged the truth of, about God for a lie. They worshiped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions for their women exchanged natural relations for those that were contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with the wimp with women and were consumed with passions for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to debase minds to, what, to do what not ought be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They were full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness, they are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless, though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. Therefore, chapter 2, verse 1, Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges, for in the passing, for in passing judgment on one another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourselves, that you will escape the judgment of God, or do you presume on the riches of His kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? Chapter 3, verse 10, As it is written, No one is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside together. They have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. And their paths are ruin and misery in the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Chapter 3, verse 21. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. There is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith chapter 5 verse 1 therefore since we have been justified by faith we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through him 
we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Chapter 5, verse 20. Now the law came to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace might also reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let us pray one more time before we enter into this new passage of text. Lord, I thank you. Your word is true. Your word is not kind to the state of sin that we all once lived in and loved. Lord, your gospel and the work of Christ is the only hope that we have. Lord, and as we stand and we look out at our culture and we see the acknowledgement of sin as though it was right, Lord, let us be broken hearted. But let us also understand that this is no new thing. Men and women from the fall have been sinful and sinners. Lord, and we, apart from Your grace and mercy, and call upon our lives as Christians and as the church, would be due Your wrath as all others are. So I pray that as we press into this gospel message, this gospel of hope, that we would not forget who we are apart from You. Lord, that that we would be reminded of the hope that we find only in You. And that as we look at it, at our culture, that our hearts would long for them to know You. Lord, that we would not grow bitter and angry, but that we would grow passionate and kind and be loving. Lord, and sometimes to be loving means to say things that hurt. Lord, but we do not stand judgmental because we are not judges. We are just beggars. Lord, who have been shown the source of life and hope and, and we want to beckon to others who do not know that hope and that life. And I, I pray as we press into Your Gospel that here at Mount Carmel as we press into the knowledge of what it is that You have done for us and that You are continuing to do for us and what we have hope for that You will by Your promises complete for us in glory. That as we rest in those things and hope in those things that we would not forget those who do not have it yet and that we would live our lives each and every day knowing that we may not impact a million in our lives. We may never speak to tens of thousands at a time in our lives, but that we will impact one. 
Let it be our goal, not for incountable numbers, but for the one, for the names that you will place before us as Christians in this world, that we would live faithfully to what you have called us to in the places that you've placed us to work, in the schools that you've placed us in, in the communities that you've placed us in, in the culture that you've placed us in, in the time and history that you have placed us in, that we would stand as faithful witnesses to the love of a Savior who would come and die on a cross for us. Lord, let the Gospel be real to us. Lord, now as we press on as believers, as believers as we press on into this passage of text now, let us see what it is that You are doing in us and that You are sure to complete in us. It's for Christ's glory. Amen. So, now as we press on into chapter 6, verse 1. Tonight we're going to be looking at the first seven verses. Um, I wanted to kind of break this up so that it wasn't super, super, super long. We're probably past that now, right? We're probably already it, you know, eking in on the super long. Um, so at least it won't be like three-hour message tonight. Um, I want us to kind of step back and think about what we've covered in the text so far. For those of you um, that may not have been here for the whole thing, you kind of got a summary of the text and the ideas that we've been covering up to this point in the book of Romans. The gospel is being presented here. You cannot present the gospel without first showing that all are in need of the gospel, that all have sinned and all have fallen miserably short of the standard of holiness that God has put forth. But God in His loving kindness and mercy, not only is He just, but He is the justifier of those who would come to Christ and accept the finished work of Christ. And in placing our faith in Christ, we stand firmly fixed, justified before God. Not of our own works, but of the work of Christ. And this is where we are in the text as far as the idea of what Paul's trying to pour out here. Sin, justified from sin through Christ. And Christ alone and our faith in that alone. Not to be added Two, by works, right? And there's a question that comes out of this, specifically out of the passage in the latter part of chapter 5 where we see, now the law came to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that sin reigned in death, grace, so that as sin reigned in death, grace might also reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. So one thing, this idea that I've been putting forth to you as we've been digging through justification, I just want to kind of reiterate it again so that you get why the question comes up as it does at the beginning of chapter 6. So the idea that I've been putting forth to you, the truth of what Scripture tells us about how we're made right with God, is through His grace alone and sending Christ alone and us placing our faith in Christ only. No work that you will do will ever complete that or is it ever needed to complete that. Once you place your faith in the finished work of Christ, you are His. 
fixed firmly in Him. Right? Now the question would then raise from that. And what would it be? Well, if then, I add nothing to this, can I go on like I was before? Did I just get a get out of hell free card? Can we as Christians, if it's not about the work, I want you to think, think about this. Think about this. As Christians, you're justified how? By faith alone and Christ alone, no work of yours. So is there anything that you can do to undo it? No? Then can you just go... Could, and I'm talking just technically, right? Uh, can, we, can we just explore this idea a bit? Technically. Could I get in on a technicality that I really do believe it, yet I'm going out living the way that I want to live, sinfully living? No. Why? And this is the idea that we're going into now. Okay? So as believers, you are justified before God. When God looks at you, He sees the work of Christ. So then, what next for you should be the question. So if I don't have to work out the rest of my days trying to look good for Him, then what do I do? Right? What comes next for the believer? What does life look like after you've placed your faith in Christ? That's the idea that we're going to be exploring from the start of chapter 6 here all the way through the end of chapter 8. Right? So we're going to be looking forward into chapter 8 here in a little bit. And we're going to also be looking back at some things that were said in the first part of chapter 1. So... Um, what I want us to think about here is the, this idea of sanctification. This word will actually come out clearly said in verse 19. We're not going to get there tonight, but I want to go ahead and put out for you this idea is what's being discussed from chapter 6 through chapter 7 on into chapter 8, towards the middle of chapter 8, or maybe you could even say towards the early first part of chapter 8, this idea of sanctification starts getting blended into this other idea of being glorified, right? The hope that we have to be glorified, we're also going to see that that is kind of mingled into the text here that we're going to look at tonight. So sanctification leading to glorification. And the one thing that I want to tell you is that if you have placed your faith in Christ, Right? If you have placed your faith in Christ and you stand justified before God, the Holy Spirit is the one doing the work in you. Okay, The life of a true believer is a supernatural life. I want you to get this. Right? I want you to get this. It's not magic. Right? It's not witchcraft or voodoo, but it is very supernatural. Right? Your life is changed and will be changed not because you change it. Get this. Right? Get this. Your life will be changed and it will not be because you change it. It will be because the Holy Spirit will change you. And this is supernatural. Just as it was supernatural for you to come to faith in Him... It is supernatural for you to be carried forward in faith. I want us to reflect back on chapter 1, 16 and 17 there. 
For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first, also to the Greek. For in it, in this gospel that is powered by God, this is what it says. The righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. Or from faith for faith. Right? So that it is God's power at work in this gospel. It is God's power in the saving of the soul. And it is God's power in the transforming of the person. Right? God will change you. Right? If you are a believer and you have been walking with Christ for any length of time, you will have seen this happen to you. If you have not, flags, red flags should be going off in your mind because what we're going to find is in fact this is the case for the believer. That the believer will be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. Right? So let's look at this as we dig into... Chapter 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? Again, in regards to what's been said previously in chapter 5. What shall we say then? Are we to continue sinning that grace may abound? And what is his answer? Does Does he like drag it out? Does he drag it out? Then there should be no question to that. Right? To the answer to this, when you ask, are we to continue sinning that grace may abound? Do you as a believer, as a Christian, have liberty to continue in sin? No. Emphatically, no. And you will not. Because the Holy Spirit will not allow you. He will supernaturally transform you over the course of your life. Sometimes this may be in breaking you down completely. God loves you and He is jealous for you. And He knows what's best for you. And He is not against breaking you to lead you where He wants you to be. And He is not unjust for that. And when you stand forward in glory one day because the Holy Spirit has led you there, in no way will you say, oh man, I wish you had not let that happen to me. I could have done it better than that. What you'll find is that God, in fact, works all things together to the good of those that He's called, that He's working through for His purposes and His glory and His name's sake. So when we ask this question, I want us to understand that this is a sinful thing to consider for our hearts. And the Holy Spirit will reprove us in this if this is the way that we think. Are we to continue in sin that grace might abound? By no means. So He tells us immediately, no, stop thinking that. And then He's going to go on to explain why that's a foolish thing to think. Verse 2, by no means, how can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you understand, believer? Listen to me. Do you understand that when you were joined with Christ in faith, following through with baptism, that you died to who you were? Do you get that? Do you understand that that has happened to you? 
Do you get it? Do you get it? When we look at the picture of baptism, which we're going to explore here, when we look at this picture, we see what is taking place in us. Right? We see where we stand and where we don't stand. Let's get this. You as a believer have died to sin. So the question, how can we who died to sin still live in it? We're going to explore this. I just want to go ahead and put out there that when we get into chapter 7, we're going to explore this idea in depth. Right? Specifically addressing sin when compared with what the law's purpose is. And the law's purpose is to reveal to us sin. We're going to look at that when we get over into chapter 7. So how can we who died to sin still live in it? The question is, is that you can't, or the answer to that is, is that you can't, right? I want us to understand that. We're going to dig through that as painstakingly as, as needs be, and we're going to see as we press on through this that ultimately it's the Spirit empowering us. I want y'all to get this. I want y'all to understand that as we dig through sanctification, which is the section of the text that we're in, is the section dealing with sanctification. What I want us to understand is that sanctification is empowered by the Spirit of God, right? Not empowered by your efforts, right? So it is still not, as a believer, so before you came to Christ, it was not about you checking off a list so that you could look good for Him. Now as you're a believer, it is still not about you checking off a list. I'm not saying now that now you've been justified, now it's list-taking or list-making time. That's not what it's about. You've died to sin. And you have died to the law, which is what we're going to see in chapter 7. Do you not know, verse 3, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? (coughs) Excuse me. Do you not know Mm. that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death. And here, we should be reflecting on the price that was paid for us. As believers, now better than at any point in the past, we should be able to reflect on what Christ has done for us. You were once blind to sin. You were once blind to who you were, and you were blind to the way and style of life that you were living. But as a believer, your eyes have been awakened to sin. So that when you spend time in God's Word, He reveals your sinfulness to you. And when He does, reflect on what Christ has paid for. Because when the Holy Spirit reveals your sinfulness to you, when He points out the places in your life where sin is still embedded, where your habits are still there, He does not want for you to now say, well, Christ's part has been done, now it's my turn. Alright? That's, that's not it. 
That's not how you overcome sin. It's not by saying, well, Jesus did His part, now it's time for me to do mine. Because you are buried dead with Christ and something else. Because that's not the end. You are raised to life in Christ. So when the Holy Spirit reveals to you your sin, it is not time for you to step up, man up, and get rid of it. It is time for you to continue falling at the feet of the Savior. Forever you will live in this life in repentance. Understand that. That your life as a believer will be marked by continual repentance. Not by you now stepping up, manning up, and doing it yourself. That's not what it's about now as a believer. It is about you continuing to rely on the death and resurrection of Christ for your hope. Always. Get that. I want you to understand that. I want you to grasp that. That things didn't change from chapter 5 to chapter 6. It's not now about you doing it yourself. Right? So let's reflect on the fact, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? Reflect on that. The Holy Spirit will use that and your reflection on that and your repentance in the, war, in the death of Christ and in the resurrection of Christ. You will find that you are pressed forward. That you are pressed forward towards righteousness, towards holiness, not by your own efforts, but by the work of the Holy Spirit. Verse 4, we were buried, therefore, with Him by baptism unto death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. We were buried, therefore, with Him by baptism unto death. Who you were, the life that you lived, the baggage that came along with it, buried with Christ. Right? I want you to get as a believer that now that you have been awakened to sin, it can be quite easy to reflect on who you were and that weigh on you heavily. Right? It's very depressing to think of who we were. Right? It's very depressing to think of those times that we blasphemed His name and He was patient with us and would one day lead us to Himself. There's much shame there. I want you to get that who you were buried with Him. All the shame buried with Him. Do you get this? All the regret buried with Him. That you do not walk in life that's now hindered by the baggage that you carry with you. Right? We see the wording as you walk in newness of life. You have new life. You have died to your old self. We're going to see this idea throughout this Run of text, 6, 7, 8, this idea of death. And it is a beautiful thing. Okay? Because you have been counted dead to who you are. Dead to those sins. 
And not just dead as in every other kind of death that we know, but you were dead like Christ was dead. You were joined with Christ in His death. And Christ was a death like none other. And Christ was a death that was not final. So you have been, as believers, raised to newness of life. And how is this done? How is this done? We're going to see this. I want us to reflect back on uh, chapter 1, verse 4. I want us to see the text here. Let's, let's read this one time, and then we're going to jump over to that passage of text. We were buried, therefore, with Him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised. Right? That's the piece that I want us to think about and consider. Because as I look at this and I think of how was Christ raised? By what power was He raised? So, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father. Let's flip back to chapter 1, verse 4. Paul here is opening up the book. He's giving his introduction. He's telling who he is, what he's about, what he's what his purposes are here and who it is that he serves. And he mentions how Christ was raised here. Verse four. Talking about Christ and he was declared to be the son of God in power, according to the spirit of holiness. That's the Holy Spirit there by his resurrection from the dead. So I want you to understand That just as Christ was declared in power to be the Son of God, so too are you. So too are you. Right? You do not walk timidly as Christians. We're going to find that you've not been given a spirit of fear in chapter 8. We're going to find that you have been given a spirit of sonship, a spirit of power. The Spirit is the Holy Spirit. The same Spirit that not... Look at how it raised Christ from the dead. Christ was declared. Right? I want you to, I want you to think on this. Right? When we think of how, how dire this, the situation seems in our lives sometimes. When we think about how hopeless things seem. When we look at the world that we're living in, we're thinking like, man, it is going down in a ball of fire, it seems. I want us to get this. I want us to get this. That you have within you the same power that raised Christ from the dead. Do you get this? See, now I know, man, we're in a Baptist church. And that can be uncomfortable sometimes. You're like, man, is he going to speak in tongues or something? Is we about to get Pentecostal in here or something? Like, we, Sometimes we feel uncomfortable, especially if I say that you have the same power in you that raised Christ from the dead. But that's what the Scripture is telling us here. right? Just as Christ was raised. How was He raised? How was He raised? Somebody please tell me. How was Christ raised? Did they? Did he accidentally like roll off the slab in the cave and hit the ground and be like, "Oh, I wasn't quite dead yet"? How did it happen? Has it happened since? The Holy Spirit, in power, declared that Christ was exactly who He said He was. 
by raising Him from the dead. Could anything stop it? Could anything hinder it? Could anything hold it back? When Christ was going to rise, could anything have said, just just hold up one second. We're not quite ready for this yet. When the Holy Spirit raised Christ from the dead, He did it in power. And when He did it, what did He say? All that Christ said? Can you deny it now? Where are you at, Rome? Huh? Where are you at, Pharisees? Get your nails out. You think you're going to put him back up there now? Huh? When he raised him, how did he raise him? In power. In power. Let's go back to where we were in the text. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized in Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead. Just as Christ was raised from the dead, by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. I want you to get this. That the life that you as believers walk in is supernaturally empowered. And this is why I'm telling you. I want you to listen. I want you, can I, everybody look at me right now. Everybody look at me for a second. This is why I'm telling you that the life that you could not live before, you can live now because it's empowered not by your weakness, but by His power. Hear this. Hear this as you struggle with sin. As you struggle with fear and you struggle with doubt. Hear this. The one that is in you, this is what we claim, this is what we believe, the one that is in you raises the dead to life. And he can't overcome what you got going on. He can't overcome it. Is that what we're saying? I want, hear me, because you do tell this to yourself. You do tell this to yourself as you struggle with whatever it is that you may be struggling with that the, man, this is just not going to happen. Just not gonna happen. I'm telling you, you will overcome. And it will not be by your power. It will be by the Holy Spirit's power. So I'm telling you, repent, 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 repent. Fall, trust, lean into, know that the only way you are or will ever be is the power of God at work to salvation in you. Know this, that it is not your work, it is His work. So lean into Him. Not into your own efforts. Lean into Him. How do we do this? Continue in daily repentance. Seek Him first. Seek Christ in all you do. The same power that raised Him from the dead empowers you to live in newness of life. Do you see what the text is telling us? As believers, we live supernatural lives. Supernatural lives. If you're not living a life that is supernatural as a believer, then you need to stop for a second. Maybe you need to repent a little bit. Maybe you need to fall on your knees before Him. 
Maybe you've been trying too long. Maybe, maybe He knows exactly what He's doing and He puts people to speak truth in your life at exactly the right moment. Maybe He's working all things together. Maybe, maybe. Do you think it's possible? Do you think the God that created all the heavens and all the earth and that works all these things together without breaking a sweat, do you think that maybe, maybe throughout all time and history He can place men and women in your lives that would speak the truth of God's Word so that you would be empowered by the Holy Spirit to step forward into the hope that is for you? Do you think that that's possible? That's the life that you live. Do you hear me? Believers, that is the life that you live. When you look throughout Christian history and you see men and women laying their lives down for Christ and you think, could I do it? Yes, you can do it. Yes, you would do it. Hear me. Hear me in this. Because it would not be you. It would be the Holy Spirit in that moment, in that time, pressing you forward and you'll sing, holy, 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 as your body burns. And it will be supernatural. We, we miss out on this. And we hope that it will come by natural means. We hope that a door will be opened that we'll see and that we can clearly walk through. We would hate to be thrown in the lion's den. We would hate to be thrown in the fiery furnace. Like it's fairy tales told to children. And not the same thing that the same God who raised Christ from the dead can and will do today. This is the power that's in you. And we seek for comfort. Because we're afraid of that. We're afraid maybe it ain't true. Maybe it ain't true. Maybe we don't have the faith that we think that we have. Right? If your life is not empowered by the Holy Spirit, I want you to seriously consider if you have placed your faith in Him. I want you not to scare you, not so that you're fearful, and I don't want to see owls flooded because of whatever, like I scared you. I'm not about scaring you, but I'm telling you the truth, that the Scripture tells us that the same One that raised Christ from the dead in power works in us so that we, as believers, walk in newness of life. You do walk in newness of life. You do. You do. So what this should show us, and we're going we're gonna to work through this as we go through. I've already got marked up in my text some different places to show you this as we go along through because I want this to be just evident in your lives as you, as you walk forward. I want you to get who you are, where you stand, how you press forward. I want you to understand that it's not by your will, not by your efforts, but by the leading of the Holy Spirit and the empowering of the Holy Spirit in your lives. This is how it happens, right? This is how the church grows when it's pressed in on the most. This is how in America... We grow cold and die because we don't think that we need it anymore. And we find the underground church in China growing as it's pressed in on. We find our brothers over in the Middle East 
cut my head off because I won't deny it. Do you think, do you think for a second that they were standing there of their own will in their own power ready to die? Do you know how you get there? He leads you there. Get this, right? The life that we live as believers is a supernatural life. You are living empowered by the Holy Spirit. Let's flip over this idea at the end of uh, verse 4 there that we too might walk in newness of life. I just want to kind of foreshadow over a couple of chapters uh, into chapter 8 where we're going to land in a few weeks, right? I want you to get that these ideas are going to be all kind of brought together. Chapter 8, verse 3, as you flip there. So some of the ideas that I'm going to read here in chapter 3, we've not touched yet. I've alluded to, but we've not hit the actual Scripture yet. So 8 and 3, For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to what? The Spirit. So I want you to see that where we're starting off here, we're going to continue pressing forward and we're going to look at these ideas that it's not by your flesh. I want you to see that here as we flip a couple of chapters over and we actually read it, that we walk not according to the flesh. Right? You walk as believers not according to the flesh. You have died to that old self. Right? You have died to that old self. You do not walk in that way any longer. You walk empowered by what? The Holy Spirit for what? Newness of life. Newness of life. You walk there in chapter 6, verse 4, in newness of life. And I want us to ask ourselves, does that look like our life? Does my day-to-day look new compared to what I was before Christ? The answer should be yes. I'm not telling you that you will look perfect. I'm not telling you that you will not struggle with sin. But I'm telling you that you will overcome. Right? The promise that God has set forward for each and every one of you is that you will overcome. Let's look at Scripture to see this. For we have been united with Him in death, in a death like His. For so, verse five. Y'all go. Y'all go back to chapter six, verse five. For we have been united with him. United with who? With Christ. We have been united with him in a death like his. This is this. Do you see the sim- symbolism of baptism here? We've been united with him in a death like his. So, if we have, then what? Then what? The last part of this text here. We shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. Right? So I want you to get here. We're starting in chapter 6 and we're pushing into this idea of sanctification. And in this, He's laying forward a truth that He's going to really blow up in chapter 8. Right? 
that the life that you hold and look for is not this one. Right? That the life that you hope for, that you dream of, that you lie awake at night thinking about is not this one. It's the next one. Right? It's the next one. So I want us to understand this. That sanctification leads to glorification. Right? You have been justified. You stand justified. Whether you sin today or you sin tomorrow, you stand justified, believer, before God. The Holy Spirit is working in you, leading you to holiness. The Holy Spirit is working in you, leading you to glory. For if, right? For if, verse 5, we have been united with Him in death, in a death like His, we maybe, we possibly, we could, like it's, it's a good likely possibility. No, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. Believer, do you see this? That it is not a question of if. Because if you've died with Him, You shall certainly. Do we have lawyers in the house? If we didn't, do we have anybody that's ever had a contract of any kind? When it says shall, do you know what that is? Like that's some lawyer speak right there for you. Like it will be. It will be. It shall certainly be. So we, who is that? We believers we have, who have pressed forward to this point, we stand justified before God in the grace and forgiveness that comes through the work of Christ, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. Hold to that as you press forward into what He's got for you. Do you follow me? Do you follow me? You shall. We shall certainly. Resurrection, right? Do you know what that means? Do you know what that means? Do you know the hope that that has? Do you know who's who this book is written to? We've covered this, right? The, the name of the book's what? Romans. We realize that probably the worst persecution to have ever come to the church came shortly thereafter. They read, received, and held on to the truths of this book. How do you think that men would not deny, but yet instead would die? Certainly, certainly, because I don't hope in this body, I don't hope in this body that many of you probably are getting to that point where you know what it is, it's breaking down, right? Like if I don't cut short, some of you aren't going to be able to see to drive home, right? <laughs> Looking at you, <laughs> right? Like your hope's not there. So your hope is not there. You have a resurrection body awaiting you. So take it. Use it. Run it into the ground. Let the world abuse it. Because I'm not hoping and keeping this thing working and running for a long time. Because my hope is fixed somewhere else.
Do we see this? That as he's talking about sanctification here, as he starts digging into this, he is alluding to the certainty with which we will be raised to life again. So let sanctification not be a question of will we somehow fall off that track? Right? Will we somehow fall off that track? Because it is God's Holy Spirit leading us there. Get that. Get that. Understand that. Hold to that. It is God's Holy Spirit leading us there. Verse 6. We know. I want you to, to see the certainty with which he uses words here. We know that our old self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. So I want you to get this, and and again, we're going to cover this more and more as we press on through this idea of sanctification through chapter 6, 7, and 8. I want you to get this, that we're going to flesh out these ideas, this idea of old self and how the old self plays in and what it means to be crucified. But I want you to get this, that there is something miraculous happened in the lives of believers who have placed their faith in Christ. We know that our old sinful self was crucified with Him. Know this, believer. Know it. I'll say it again and again and again. You are crucified with Christ. You are crucified with Christ. In order... That the body of sin might be brought to nothing. Do you get this? Do you understand this? I've told you. I've told you that you were slaves to sin. You are no longer slaves to sin if you've placed your faith in Christ. Understand that. Understand that. You have been set free. You have died to the old self with Christ, raised to newness of life. Sin has lost and is losing its grip on you. Get that. Understand that. Follow me through here. So that, this is, I'm just going to start back in 6 and read through it again. This is an awesome passage of text. We know that our old old self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For the one who has died has been set free from sin. I want you to get this, believers, Christians, brothers and sisters. I want you to get this. That slavery to sin is not where you stand. Hear me again. Slavery to sin is not where you stand. You stand firmly fixed in grace. I'm going to say it again. You as believers stand firmly fixed in grace. You are no longer slaves to sin. You have died to sin. So how can you continue on living in it? I'm asking you this question. I'm posing it to you. Because you may find yourself tonight in a cycle of sinfulness. And I want to tell you that the Holy Spirit may very well now be calling you out of that. Will you trust in Him? Will you repent of that sin? Will you continue down this road that He is sometimes dragging you down? 
Thank God for that. Free at last, friends. Free at last. Thank God Almighty. We are free at last. Let's close in prayer. Lord, I thank you for who you are. I thank you for the work that you have done for us. I thank you for this church. I love them so dearly. They have been a part of my life at this point, almost half my life. Lord, And I thank you for those who have been faithfully attending here for longer than than, than I even have been here. And, and I just pray that I would be an encouragement to them. Lord, I pray that you would use me in studying your word, that I might could uh, shed light on areas for them that maybe maybe they've not seen or your Holy Spirit has not revealed to them as of yet. That would be such an awesome and humbling experience uh, that I could be a, a part of that, Lord. And I pray for those who are maybe newer, maybe those who are here with us, uh, and, and it's been maybe just weeks. I just thank you for them, uh, for leading them here uh, to be uh, to just fellowship among us. I pray that I've done justice to your word, that your Holy Spirit would work in their lives. Lord, that no matter where we are in our walk with you, that we would understand that it is empowered by you. Lord, that we would cling to the hope that it is your power that's leading us and not our own. Lord, and when we find ourselves, because, man, if I'm honest, we probably often find ourselves in sin that we we think, Lord, shouldn't I be over this? Shouldn't I be past this? Lord, and if we're honest with ourselves, we probably find that it's that it's us that's trying to do it and and that that we somehow think, well, you did your part and now it's time for us to do ours. But I thank you that uh, through all that you're doing, that you're revealing truth to us, that you're opening our eyes, that you're showing us more and more each and every day as we walk closer and closer to you, as we get closer and closer to that day where you bring us home, that uh, your Holy Spirit is refining us and working in us. And, and uh, Lord, I know that you've done a work in me and I know that you're doing a work and many of those who are here with us tonight. And I just thank you for that. Lord, if there is anyone here tonight who uh, does not know what it means to be set free from sin, or if there's a believer here tonight who finds themselves ensnared or entangled by sin, then I would, I would just uh, want to speak to them with this and, and that your Holy Spirit would speak to them as well, that uh, you will not overcome it yourself. You never could. You never would. You never will that the Holy Spirit comes in power. Lord, your Spirit moves in power. And I thank you that you do not leave us as Christians to fend for ourselves, Lord, but that you rage like a lion before us and that you are for us, Lord, that your Spirit is for us. And if you are for us, Lord, who can stand against us? It's in Christ's name and for his glory. Let us worship you now.